Grab your Bibles, if you will, and open them with me to uh, Matthew chapter 6. And, uh, and I'm about to do something that I, um, I don't like to do. Um, I'm going to read you a lengthy portion of Scripture, and that's what I don't like to do. Because I, I think uh, reading is such bad pedagogy. That is, people don't like to be read to. Um, but the reason I'm going to read Matthew 6 in its entirety... And let me tell you why. Um, Why I felt like it might be all right in this instance. Because um, this is a familiar passage of Scripture. This is a passage that contains words that you know. Maybe you didn't know they were in Matthew 6, but that's, that's not my point. You've heard these words before. You know these words. You love these words. This is the chapter that includes uh, things... Like the Lord's Prayer. The Lord's Prayer is in there. And by the way, um, I really, uh, we used to pray occasionally the Lord's Prayer as a congregation. And, and I've stopped doing that. And I, and I think I'm wrong. I, our children should grow up knowing the Lord's Prayer. Anyway, just want to warn you, we're going to be uh, reintroducing just a corporate saying of the Lord's Prayer occasionally in the, in the coming days. But, but anyway, Matthew 6 includes the Lord's Prayer. It includes um, those, those wonderful words about the lilies of the field and Solomon and all of his glory and worry. You know that passage? And then it concludes with that, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things. Those are familiar words to God's people. And, and, and I think because they're so familiar, it won't be so hard to listen to in terms of my reading it. At least that's my hope. But we're really going to discuss the chapter in its entirety, so I needed to read it in its entirety. So you follow in your copies of God's Word as we begin at Matthew chapter 6 at verse 1. And we'll read through, as I said, to the end. Here we go. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus... When you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray... You must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. For they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. And when you fast, 
Do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you that they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and you wash your face that your fasting may be seen, may not be seen by others, but by your father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow. For tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. The grass withers and the flower fades. But the word of our God, that endures forever. While his audience is still choking on Jesus' description of the kingdom back in chapter 5 and his description of the members of that kingdom, he barely gives them any time at all to swallow that before he moves on in chapter 6 to describe the king who presides over That kingdom. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus' emphasis is on the, the members of this kingdom. In Matthew chapter 6, his, his emphasis is on the king who presides over that kingdom. Gang, you gotta get clear with that because in, in chapter 5, Jesus takes what is upside down and he turns it right side up by, by emphasizing issues like 
like a poverty in spirit. This is in five now. Poverty in spirit and, and, and meekness and, and uh, peacemaking and, and persecution and the right handling of the law and, and uh, turning the other cheek. And, and while their heads are still spinning over those issues, um, barely able to catch their collective breath, we come to chapter 6 and he introduces them to the one who occupies the throne in that kingdom. So whereas his emphasis in chapter 5 is on the subjects of that kingdom, his emphasis in chapter 6 is on the king who, who presides over that kingdom. And he calls him, he identifies him as father. Gang, 12 times in chapter 6, Jesus calls God Father. And four of those times, he modifies Father with the adjective heavenly. Your heavenly Father. Now, gang, that may not seem like a big deal, but it really is. Judaism... You know, which is what Jesus is speaking to. Judaism made lists of names that could be used that were permissible by Jews if they were going to address God in prayer or in worship. They had lists of names. And, and on those lists, you'd find names like um, El Shaddai or Elohim or El Sadek or El Roi. You find these lists of names that, that Jews considered permissible to be used uh, in the midst of their worship. But conspicuous uh, by its absence on, the, on that list, on those lists, was the name Father. You'd never find that name on any list that a Jew wrote. No conscientious Jew would ever dream of calling Yahweh Father. No priest, no king, no Levite, no Jew would ever permit themselves to become so laissez-faire with Yahweh that they would address him as Father. Uh, the, the names of God for Jews were serious business, guys. In fact, you know what a scribe is? A scribe is one, he was a copyist. What he did is he copied the scriptures all day long. That's what a scribe did. He copied the thing, you know, to re- reproduce it into another copy. What was a scribe was? Well, when a scribe was copying the word of God, when he came to the name Yahweh, he got up, took off his clothes, took a bath, put his clothes back on, and came and wrote Yahweh. Then he moved on. But if Yahweh was in the sentence three or four times, that was one clean fellow because he had to bathe every time before he wrote that name. There is an event early on in the, in the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. This is in John 5. Now, you can imagine that's really early on in the life of, of uh, in the ministry of Christ. There is an event where Jesus has so incensed his Jewish audience that they want to kill him. Now, ultimately, you know, three years later, they do. But this is early on. 
And do you know why they're so upset? Well, go check it out. John 5, verse 18. He's calling God his father. We can't let anybody live who does that. No, no Jew would ever, would ever use that name. Oh, ladies and gentlemen, this kingdom described in chapter 5, oh, it's radical, all right. But it is nowhere as radical as the audacious assertion that the kingdom's king is my father. You know, guys, think about that. Um, The the implications of of this new name, they're they're mind-boggling. I mean, first of all, if he's father, that means I'm son and daughter. That is, that we are treasured sons and daughters of a family. Um, there is a there is the implication of belonging. Isn't that what happens in a family? There's um, there's the implication of access and privilege. Gang, we we are more than colleagues at some religious institute of learning. We're family. You know, um, my daughter's, my third daughter's father-in-law is a very wealthy man. He is an ex-CEO of a Fortune 500 company. He, um, he now oversees an enormous family trust, and he still owns several smaller businesses himself. He's got land and property in in places that I've never even heard about. But he's a very busy man. He's a very sought-after man. He's a very connected man. And you know what? Every time my daughter calls him, he takes her phone call. Now, he doesn't take my phone call. But he does take her phone call. And you know why? Oh, well... She's family. All I'm trying to say, guys, is there are wonderful privileges enjoyed by family members. Privileges that no Jew had ever allowed himself to consider. That was until. Until Jesus introduced the Heavenly Father. Right here in Matthew 6, his listeners are being let in on a a whole new view of God. Gang, Father is the Christian name for God. And because it is, it's a whole new deal. The kingdom of God is a family of brothers and sisters headed up by our Father who is in heaven. Oh, this is new. Not new to you. But this is big. This is radical. 
Now, guys, chapter 6 goes on to give you some insights as to what this family looks like. That is, if, if you got to know these people that are members of this kingdom, members of this family, you would find out that they're very, they're very different. I mean, what do family members look like? I mean, they're, they're, these are different people, and they're different in a good way. I mean, there's, it's not like the Adams family or the Simpsons. No, no, they, these, are, these are different people who belong to this kingdom, who are, which is headed up by their father. So, different how? I want to show you three things in the, in the chapter that I, that I think are distinctive distinctive about people who belong to this kingdom. Three things. First of all, they're different in terms of their value system. That is, their, their, their view of reality. Well, what do you mean? Well, I'm going to show you in three ways. That this, these, these members of this family are different. They're distinctive in terms of their value system. Notice in the text. I want you to look at, I hope you've still got your Bibles open, but uh, look at verse 1. I'm going to read it real quickly. Um, in order to be, for then you will have no reward from your fathers in heaven. Verse four. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. Verse six. Uh, shut the door, and your father who sees in secret will reward you. Verse eighteen. That your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your father. And your father who is in secret, who sees in secret, will reward you. Now, guys, here's the point. Uh, one of the ways that their distinctive value system shows up is in. The, the, the person from whom they seek rewards. Whose reward do I seek? Boy, that'll, that'll tell you a lot about somebody's value system, ladies and gentlemen. Do you seek, do you seek heaven's applause or earth's? Uh, and you know, verse 21 is, is a statement that is as practical as anything I know. Look at it. It says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Could I rework that sentence like this? Let me say it like this. Where your heart isn't, excuse me, where your treasure isn't, there your heart isn't also. <laughs> Gang, um, this, is a, this is a comparison between treasures that rust and treasures that can never be stolen. Now, which one of those do you want? Which one of those rewards do you value? Because that's going to tell you where your heart is. You know, gang, take a look at yourself. According to this, I read you four times, God rewards. But you know what? So does, so does man. He rewards too. So which one of those do you want? Which do you pursue? Which do you store up? Who can give me what I want? God or man? Um, that's going to tell you tons about your value system. To whom do I look? To get rewarded. 
Secondly, did you notice also in these verses that I read, verses 4, 6, and 18, so that your giving may be in secret and your father who sees, look in verse 6, your father who sees, verse 18, your father who sees, oh, there are watchers out there, guys. The God who sees versus the man who sees. They both see. So whose smile moves you? Uh, Whose smile concerns you? Conversely, whose frown do you labor to avoid? Is it a snarl from man that you fear? If that's so, ladies and gentlemen, that will take your life in a very distinct direction. You know, the, the book of Proverbs says that the fear of man brings a snare. The, the, the Proverbs calls it a snare. Well, my point is simply, many of us have been and are being snared. Whose opinion of me matters to me most? God's or man's? They both see. They're both watching. Now, which one, which one are you most concerned to have a smile on their face? Because, guys, you answer that question, and and that kind of thing tends to show up in choices that I make on a daily basis. Who's... Who's watching me most concerns me? Because it's going to tell you a lot about your value system. Then there's one other thing that I want you to see concerning the value system. And um, look at verses 22 through 23. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, that whole 22, 23. Gang, the, the eye here, you can understand it like this. It's a reference to how you see things. It's a reference to your perspective on on all of life, on everything, guys. People in this family that's headed up by the Heavenly Father, they evaluate things from heaven down, not from earth up. Um, Tell me, who or what gives you your slant on things? Does, Does God slash heaven determine my perspective? Or does man slash earth determine my perspective? My, my perspective on all my politics and, and uh, you know, my ideologies, where, did, where does that come from? Who taught that to me? Who has the final say in how I arrive at definitions? For instance, my definition on abortion. Who taught you that? Where'd you get it? Uh, my definition of marriage. Where'd you learn that? How did you come to the conclusions about what marriage should look like? Where, who taught you? Where'd you get it? Or how about success? Who gave you your definitions of success? Because 
if the eye is healthy, that is, if the way I see things is healthy, oh, then your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye, if my perspective, if the way I view things is bad, oh, 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 my, then your whole body will be full of darkness. You see, guys, this family is different in terms of their value system because of who they look to to get rewarded, who they're concerned about is watching them, and where they got their perspective on everything. Everything. Where'd you get yours? Whose reward do you really value? And whose eye on you concerns you most? Because they're both on you. (laughs) Well, that's the first way that this family is very distinctive. They're, They're distinctive in terms of their value system. But the second thing I want you to notice in the text is that they're also distinctive. They're also different in terms of their worship. Gang, um... There are only two brands of worship. It is religion versus Christianity. Now, gang, let me, let me pause here. When I say religion, that may confuse some of you. Christianity is a religion. Yes. But oftentimes in the, in the New Testament, particularly by the Apostle Paul, when he uses the word religion, this is how he uses it in Colossians 2. He calls it self-made religion. Now, that's how I'm using it. The the people who are members of the family of God, where God is the king and he's our father, those people have a, a certain way, a certain approach to their worship. It is Christianity versus religion, self-made religion. One is practice before men. Look at verse 1. It says, um, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people. <laughs> um, you see, one... Religion is practiced before men, before people. The other, mm, it's practiced before God. And then he gives us three illustrations of practicing that religion. Uh, first of all, look, look at verse 1. Uh, beware of practicing your righteousness. Okay, so we're talking about things that are repeated and we're doing over and over again. Okay, the first issue that he mentions in verse 2 is when you give. Oh my, what a sensitive issue is that? He says, when you give, don't be doing that so people can see it. You do that in private. You don't be giving because... People are going to applaud how much you give. No, 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 no. You do that in private. And God who sees will reward you. Now, guys. So you're sitting there and you're saying, oh, well, I sure sure do my giving in private. I mean, I do it in secret. Nobody knows what I'm giving. But, you know, you still may be guilty. Think. Gang. In the, in the ministry of Jesus Christ, he wrestled often with Pharisees and Pharisees who wanted men to see how much they gave um, so that people would applaud them. And so they would make a big deal about coming to that little box and throwing all their money in there. And they would make sure that everybody was looking so they could see, so everybody could know how much, so they could get all the applause from men. Jesus said, don't do that. 
But in our day, it's kind of different because people are very private about their giving. But for the different reason. And the reason is they don't want it to be known how little they give and thus forfeit the applause of men. It's the same sin. The issue is not, the issue is before God or before men. The issue is not secrecy. The issue is before whom do you do it? So just because I'm private in those matters doesn't mean I haven't practiced my religion before me because I don't want anybody to know what I'm giving because if they knew, then they wouldn't think as highly of me as I want them to think. The the second issue he mentions is praying. Um, That's verse 5. And when you pray, I don't want you to be praying so that everybody can hear you praying and, you know, and, and oh, this, this statement he makes in verse seven. And when you pray, do not keep, do not uh, keep up empty phrases. Oh my. Whoa. Empty phrases. Mindless gibberish. Just one religious phrase tacked on to the end of the other religious phrase. Guys, there is something that happens in the evangelical world that has its eyes closed and its hands folded and it's trying to disguise itself as, as prayer and, and it is nothing more than announcements. Oh God! You know I've got a doctor's appointment at 9 a.m. on Tuesday morning and I got that cyst and I... Stop it! That's an announcement! Oh God! You know I went to visit my neighbor next door and, and we uh, talked about uh, the, the policy... Gang, that's, that's, not, that's not done so that God, it's done so that I can hear it. Or the other people in the room. Guys, praying for the benefit of those people seated in the room with me, that's religion. That's not Christianity. Because when you pray, says the scriptures, you, you don't pray like those, those Pharisees folks so that everybody can see you. Don't pray like the Gentiles either, who is just mindless, empty phrases. You pray as if you have an audience of one, and he resides in heaven. The other thing that he mentions is fasting. It's in verse, six, uh, verse 16. Again, when you fast, you're not supposed to be doing it so that, oh, yes, well, I'm fasting these days. No, 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 don't, 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 don't be look gloomy and... And uh, like the hypocrites, um, no. You see, guys, the, the real issue is not whether it's fasting or giving or praying. It is before whom it's done. Religion is practiced before men. And Christianity is practiced before God. Guys, if, if righteousness is the sum of right religion, then how do I practice mine? Because the people who are members of this kingdom, they practice it with an eye cut towards heaven. And wondering, is what I'm doing now pleasing to the one who listens and watches? Whose ear are you trying to fill? What listener is important? Those are all questions that are being presented 
in chapter 6. There's one other thing that I'm done. This family is also different in terms of their view of the future. Look at verse 25. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or drink. You know that wonderful, glorious passage. And the specific item that he's mentioning is worry. But, gang, the real issue is in verse 34. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow. You know, 34 starts with after, after 25 through 33. Then Jesus says, therefore, having heard what I just said, therefore, don't be anxious about tomorrow. That's the issue, guys. You know, gang, anything that you love and that you value, you're going to be concerned about. Your, your child gets a 104 fever. Yes, there is going to be legitimate human parental concern. But hardcore worry, the, you know, the can't sleep at night variety, the paralyzing worry, the habitual worry, is, is such a statement of pride. Do you know why that's so proud? Because what it says, in essence, is I'm the only one who knows how things really ought to go. I, I know what's best for me. Um, you know, things aren't working out according to the plan that I made for myself. And therefore, oh no. Gang, look at verse 32. Christianity is about a God who knows. He says, for the Gentiles seek after all these things, but your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. He knows about your needs today, and He knows about your needs tomorrow. Besides, what kind of father would He be if He had no concern about my future well-being? Let me close with kind of a summary. Because, guys, I, what I'm saying is Matthew 6 is a portrait. It's a portrait about a God who heads up a kingdom who we can call our Father. But then it also describes the members of the family who is headed up by that Heavenly Father. And here's the portrait. The people of this family are ones whose chief and dominant theme is the reality of God in all of life. They are, their, their chief concern is what he thinks and what he wants in every nook and cranny of my life. These people are heavenly-minded people. They, they, they're God-centered men and women Whose, again, their chief reality is the existence of this Father in heaven. Heaven is their, is their primary reference point. It's their primary vantage point at looking at everything that they face. 
They are people with heavenly eyes. They, they, they see things differently. They have, they have a, a God slant on all of life and all of my definitions. His perspective is my perspective. It's our perspective. And, and we're like that because God has done this sovereign work of grace within us where he exchanged a heart of stone for a heart of flesh. Wow, Jimmy, I mean, oh, that's, that's just downright, I mean, that's just radical. Yeah. Our Father, remind us who we are. Remind us to whom we belong. Remind us, O oh God, that you are, perhaps above all else, our Father, who art in heaven. We pray, of course, in Jesus' name.